Hi, this is Web37 Daily, a 1.37 p.m. Twitter space about all things NFTs and Web3. All right, guys, welcome to Web37. I'm Erica Lee. Today, I'm with Black Dave. We're really happy to have you here today on our podcast. I um, just wanted to ask you, how are you doing today? It was really exciting for some of our staff to see you at NFT NYC, see you perform. I'm good. I um, In New York, I uh, was super tired. It was like my first time in New York as uh, as a free human. Uh, the first time I went, I was with my family. And um, so I, every day was like from like 9 a.m. to 3 a.m., like just moving. There was one day I woke up at 8 a.m. to like teach a class uh, in like Spain or something. No, the Netherlands. And um, I'm good. I got back. I gave my girlfriend COVID. I had COVID. She got it for me. And then uh, I'm really just getting into the swing of regular life this week. So I feel good. Um, it's a new season of anime. Summer anime has officially started for anybody who's been wondering. And uh, anime is like the cornerstone of like all the inspiration in life. So I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I also got sick after NFT NYC, which I feel like everyone did. Like, literally drop an emoji below if you got sick for NFT NYC. But um, yeah, no, um, I love anime too. I haven't been as caught up with the latest ones, but growing up, Naruto is like my most favorite um, thing ever. My laptop sticker is still um, Itachi's like shadow like on top of the apple um from when he killed his entire village and then he was just looking over the that those are the best ones the ones yeah. that like use the apple logo in them i had um i used to have my first laptop sticker was ryu shooting a hadouken and the apple logo the light was like the like fireball itself um but right now i have a my hero academia sticker um online and i'll be making a best spring 2022 anime list in the next couple of days so i'll make sure that you get it uh specifically oh me specifically thank you yeah a lot of naruto people love my hero academia um yeah so we're gonna talk about you today and i know that um anime is a huge influence for you um as well as other things could you just tell us a little bit about yourself i know you grew up in charleston Yes. Um, I am from Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I've been watching anime for probably 25 years or so. Um, I, I started watching it in 1999 in like a Dreamcast game um, that was based on the anime Berserk. So there was like a Dreamcast game called Sort of the Berserk. And, uh, and then I learned about anime through that. I was watching anime before, but I didn't explicitly realize. I know a lot of people do this thing where they say, oh, I've been watching anime since I was a baby because like my I watch it with my dad or whatever. Uh, I don't do that because I feel like that's cheating because I didn't know I was watching anime. So Actually, I've like never heard anyone say that. So I don't know like who you hang out. I've heard people be like, oh yeah, like I read the Bible like since I was a baby with, um, but never like anime. But yeah, you can't even read the Bible as a baby. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 for so, sure. I used to watch it with my grandma. Um, uh-huh. I lived in Jacksonville, Florida for like six years with my grandma. And um, 
she would watch, we would watch like Saturday morning cartoons. Then after Saturday morning cartoons on the sci-fi channel, which is just called sci-fi now, they would play anime and they would play like really gory anime stuff. Like they would play like Ninja Scroll. Like they would play like all the like eighties anime that was really, really gory back then. And, um, and that's really when I started watching anime. And then my grandma was really into Inuyasha when she, when, I guess when I lived with her, so we would watch, she would like get the DVDs of Inuyasha when we watch it. Mm. Um, Vampire Hunter D, like stuff like that back then. But I didn't realize it was anime. She probably was like, oh yeah, this is anime. But I was, you know, like 12 and not paying attention. Um, yeah, it's just cartoons like from Japan, right? So it's like yeah. that the easiest way to say it is a euphemism. And they used to call it Japanimation back then too. So like, Got it. Mm. That, it was like this whole thing. Um, I... On the music side, I started making music in 2004. I played bass in a punk band called Extremist Whitey. And, um, Experience what? Whitey? Extremist Whitey was the name of the band. But I was in a like, band with three white kids. So it was like a, oh, it was like a, okay. it was like a political <laughs> punk band back then, which is crazy, okay. right? Cause like political bands are, like, I can't vote, <laughs> you know, like, so I just make mad music about other things. And I don't even remember what the songs were about. Um, I think we named all the songs the same name as a joke. So, like, we would just be like, this song is called Take Your Hit. Every song was called Take Your Hit. And um, and then we would just start playing it. And they would, we'd always get the song right somehow. But um, I started playing music then. And then I got into production in about 2006, I um, I was in like a two-person electronic hardcore band um, called Robo Reptile, and um, and I would do all of the like electronic production. And I had a friend who played guitar and sang, and I would scream and do the production. And um, and like some of our shows, I would pull out a Guitar Hero controller and like place it on the Guitar Hero controller. <laughs> um, they're like whole guitar hero bands that exist where people only play the instruments and they're just all plugged into the computers. Um, it's kind of crazy. And then um, I I think I moved into rap music. My first tape I may have dropped in like 2014 or 15. Um, and once I got into that, I just kind of leaned uh, pretty heavily into rap. I was still in a new metal band back then uh, called EVA. Um, there's some music on streaming. Um, and, and I was doing that until about 2012. And, and here I am now, still making rap music uh, and just combining all of my influences over all those years. So like, I normally, when I introduce myself, I talk about anime, I talk about playing in bands, and I talk about like making rap music because I think everything that I make is like a combination of, of those things. Yeah, you've had such a interesting experience. You said that you were in... I guess an electronic band. Would you call the other one a metal band? New metal, like new like, metal. Like, okay. Like Horn and Limp Bizkit, Lincoln Park, Slipknot, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. Got it. Um, that's that's awesome, and that's why you're called a genre bending musician. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that your grandma introduced you to anime at such a young age because it has obviously had such a huge impact on who you are um, today. And what is it about anime that has influenced your music? Is it because the storylines are so complex, um, the characters are so relatable? What is it? It's a it's a combination of things. So like, uh, not to get super 
nerdy about like the history of anime, but for a long time, starting I well, starting in the late 80s, but more prevalently in the early 90s, like there were a ton of stories about how kids save the world, right? Like um in in the first Gundam shows, like the whole idea behind the Gundam world is that kids uh, who are born in space have like sort of an evolutionary ability to like communicate with each other through like strong emotion. But on top of that, they were the only people who were able to fly these certain types of mechs called Gundams and people called them new types and people, certain people didn't believe that new types were real and others did. And so the person who piloted all the Gundams always had to be new types. And, um, and so like, that's one of the earliest examples of like kids saving the world. Um, Gundam is like about way more than just fighting robots. But, uh, when you jump into like Neon Genesis Evangelion, where the only people who could pilot the Avas are kids and they actually saved the world from, from the third impact, even though we don't have to talk about that, but like, um, I think, <laughs> we don't there's, <laughs> I think there's something special about the idea that, that the, the future is always with the kids and they're the ones who actually save the world, um, mm. on top of like the depth of story on top of story continuity, on top of the depth of research that goes into creation of the anime. Um, like, I always reference, like, Fate, like, uh, all the Fate shows, like, Fate Stay Night, Fate, what's the one that starts with B? Fate Go, Fate, like, all the different Fates that happen, um, Infinite Blade Works, et cetera. Like, they all are based on these, like, um, legendary mythological characters. I remember watching one season and, like, King Arthur's always like the main character in some form or fashion. And there's a theory that King Arthur's actually a woman. Um, but there's also like this, this belief that King Arthur had a quote unquote illegitimate child, you know, back in royal days. You could only, I guess, whatever, had a child, had a son, and his son was actually the one that killed him. But I didn't learn that like through a King Arthur movie. I learned that through anime because all the King Arthur movies that come out in America are never about that part of his life. Um, and so like King Arthur's son actually kills him in revenge, like much later on in his life, obviously at the end of his life. And so, um, just stuff like that, super, super, super interesting. And that all that sort of research and depth of story and continuity of story is uh, always inspired everything I do. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that you see how much they're keeping, how much knowledge people are keeping in terms of like what they put out, um, you know what's interesting is like yeah. um, a lot of so like when we think about like writing books in America, right? We do a lot of research, but then when we think about like cartoons and stuff in America, it's almost like they do no research, right? They're like, let's let's give a fish a job. Uh, the fish is gonna be a chef, and his, and his coworkers a sponge, <laughs> and you know, like, and they just like they just kind of keep going, you know, and then they make episodes. And I feel oh my like, god, you're talking about Spongebob. I didn't even know <laughs> until like later. Um. Yeah, it's, so that's like, that's, it almost feels like that's how they make shows, right? Like in America, you're just like, oh, let's give a guy a family. He has a dog. The dog talks. Family guy. You know, it's like, oh, let's give another guy a family. Uh, but he lives with an alien and the alien talks. But no one cares Clifford? if it's an alien. Oh. It's okay. American dad. Clifford. Oh, okay. But that's what I'm saying, like. It's almost like they just made up. Like, just like, oh, let's, how about a show about, and then, and then they say some stuff, and then it's a show, and that's American animation. And, um, <laughs> and I hate that. So that's why I'm into anime so much. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping that you know people who are in the audience, like if they haven't given anime a try, that his explanation and um, the impact that it has has made you curious. It it really is just um, cartoons made in Japan, but um, with deeper storylines. I feel and a lot of the episodes um, and series continue for years and years to come. So you could be watching for a really really long time and just grow an emotional attachment to the characters. And their journeys but anyways i just wanted to ask you how you got into the nft space with all the stuff that you were working on i'm sure the unconventional unconventionalness of it drew you in and just how everything was new and how um nfts could help artists um my earliest introduction to nfts was through crypto kitties when crypto kitties had come out um I used to live with one of my friends who's a super nerd, um, far more nerdy than, well, he's not that nerdy anymore, but neither of us are that nerdy anymore, honestly. Um, but he had shown me CryptoKitties. I hate animals, um, which the devil is my father. Yes, guys. And, um, and like, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want this cat. Like, I didn't, I didn't want it. So I, I just didn't get into it. And then um, in 2020, like the beginning of 2020, one of my friends, um was like a collector so he was on nifty gateway heavy like um before nifty gateway like limited how many of these you could buy stuff like that he had like a, a fire job and he was just like buying nfts and uh and then selling them he was like dave you could do this you should get into this and i was like uh i suck at 3d design i can't do this and so i didn't until the end of 2020 when i was on clubhouse um one of the homies uh, who go, goes by Sirsu, um, Amir, uh, he Dave, your audio is coming in not super clear right now. Um, Oh, it's me, not you. Hang on. There we go. Sorry, my, my. Still not sounding great. Spaces. <laughs> still, yeah, still I, not I, ideal. It's my mic. Okay. Uh, my <laughs> mic does this thing where it like sometimes we'll have static. I just need to disconnect and connect. Got on. you, dog. Got you. This has been great so far. I like Dave. I'll say this: um, how. Uh, Black Dave and I met, uh, we were actually at an event at NFT NYC and, uh, I caught part of his panel, uh, him talking about community. And for me, I think one of the biggest things was really just being so impressed by, um, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about community, community, what have you in the NFT space. But I, I think that, uh, Dave had such a great great thoughts and insights in and around a uh, community. I, I just, um, I have to ask once, you know, once you're ready to go here, Dave, but um, you know, I, I have to ask really like, could you share some of your insights in and around just community building and in, in web three or even just outside of web three and in general? I feel like my mic's only getting worse, but we might be good. Uh, it's a little, it's still, it's still pretty. There's like some static. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch. Got uh, you. Audio got you. Inputs. I'll tee up that question got, in a second. 
we got the mic coming in a little crispy. It's like well toasted mic. It seems. I know it's it's it sounds like it's well done um, at this point. <laughs> Deep fried, if you will. Okay, I switch. I'm, I'm uh, man, it, it's slightly choppy a little bit. Maybe just no AirPods wait, try, at all. And try just... it again. Uh, hey, no. I think we're better. I think we're really Coming good now. Okay, cool. I I had way too much stuff plugged in. My apologies. Uh, all good. On top of that, being like slow internet i have like uh all sorts of janky equipment that gets me through my day um question on community building and like what what i um think about that i appreciate that like that intro vibe too that was sick um i um i think something that's really interesting and this is sort of like where like realist or like pessimist dave sometimes comes in is like um, trying to differentiate what our relationships are with the people that we're involved with, right? Like, um, a lot of people are absolutely convinced that they're like collectors are their biggest fans, right? But the people with the most money aren't necessarily the people who are most invested in you. And so when I think about community, I try not to make it something that's tied to finances, but really tied to like involvement and support and things like that. I like to say that uh, community doesn't cost money, right? Like I should be able to be in community with people who aren't my NFT collectors. Um, even though I've been making music for a long time, I started like seriously presenting myself as a rapper, like um, like at the beginning of 2020. And so a lot of my audience is, is Web3 native and I kind of consider myself a Web3 native artist. And um, And so something that's really... I think has been resonating with me is finding ways to build with people who don't um, own my NFTs. And so I, I do all sorts of things in my Discord. I have my own Discord server. Um, we'll watch anime. I'll play music. I'll do a DJ set. Um, we do this thing called Office Hours where people just come and um, hang out and talk to me about whatever they want to talk about. And um, and we do that for a few hours a week. And like people are in my Discord like upset that I'm not doing office hours as much as I'm supposed to and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think my whole thing is just like community doesn't have to cost money and the people who spend the most money, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you, they're your strongest community members. And, uh, that's been my stance for, I think about a year now, um, maybe a little bit longer. Is one of the best answers I've heard in a long time, um, in terms of web three and really just like what, really the core of of how i think that answer comes with a lot of understanding of how people work and how people think and i really always respect that in a person you know and and being able to kind of just um break down you know like who you know why people do the things that they do i genuinely am curious too where do you think that that comes from like within maybe just like I guess, I mean, we could go a million directions in that, but, you know, like, do you think that, that it comes from music? Um, and then, you know, or does it come from just like something earlier in your life or just naturally? It's just, I'm just curious. We can dig into that. Um, so I started skateboarding in 10th grade. Um, up until that point, I, um, like on the athleticism side, I played soccer. And I played basketball a little bit and I ran track. And so ninth grade, I played on my high school soccer team. 
10th grade, I picked up skateboarding. I went skating the week of tryouts and I got back the next week and I was like, yo, I didn't realize tryouts were this week. Uh, I'm still good though, right? I was on the team last year. They're like, no. That's the story of how I quit playing soccer. And, um, and but through skateboarding, um, I really got into streetwear. I really got into sneakers. And I think that what I was finding out is like those communities um, weren't necessarily based on like um, the stuff that you bought per se, right? Like, of course, streetwear has brands, um, skateboarding has brands, but really just being embedded in those cultures is um, being embedded in those cultures is the real like key to me, right? So I think a lot about how to create culture and how to create culture that is around a product, but also create culture that isn't around a product. So like, um, I'm working on a project called Kudos with uh, my friend Matt and um, and a handful of other folks. And our Discord server, it's an NFT project, by the way, our Discord server has no NFT chat in it. Um, the, the channels are like general chat, music, anime, fashion, sneakers, gaming. That's it. Those are the only chats in the whole Discord server. And then uh, if you need help. And, um, and I think that's important, right? I think removing the financial conversation really starts to ask what you're making, right? Like, what are you making that isn't money? And I think that's like, um, kind of been my thing is like, even in a band, right? Like being in, being in like a really popular band in my city, um, like we aren't making a lot of money. So it's like, what are you making? That's not money. And that would be like, I, one of my friends from, uh, from when I was in, like when I was in hardcore, like heavily, um, just had his first photo show last week and I hadn't seen him in like six years, but I went, I was so pumped. Like we talked for like an hour and a half. I was like the only person who showed up on like this random off day. And, uh, he and I talked and we just talked, talked about bands, talked about life. Like he's got a wife and kids now. Like, um, and I feel like those connections that you make through cultural activities are way more important than the people who bought your thing. Um, yeah, that's it. That's my answer. Do you believe there's an underlying, uh, I guess, imagined promise of disproportionate financial return in the entrance of Web3? Like the reason for being in Web3 for a lot of people ends up being that's that, I guess, yeah, that imaginary promise. Yeah. You, so I, I just, I tweeted out a screenshot yesterday uh, of me talking in modern music um, about, and, and Verite, who's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite people in Web3. Um, we were in a space the other night and we were talking about how, how many platforms and marketplaces and, you know, Web3 companies really push for artists right they're like okay artists it's the new music industry you guys have an opportunity to make perpetual money through secondary sales you can own this you can do whatever you want you can make tokens for this and that and but none of them say like this is the new fan platform no one's no one's thinking about the person who buys the thing right and and i remember getting into nfts and, and especially like in the on the black side of the NFT space, like the same way that there's black Twitter, there's like a black NFT space. And um, on the black side of the NFT space, this this generational wealth was one of the biggest promises that people were selling to us, right? Like they're like, okay, look, if you make art and then when that art sells, even after you die, you'll get the money and you can give that money to your kids. And now you have generational wealth. Um, just because like, you know, black people sort of 
um, historically don't in- experience generational wealth in the way that other people do, especially in America. Um, and so, like, um, well, I guess not especially in America, actually. Most in America and probably especially everywhere else. Anyway, um, like, um, that whole promise definitely, I think, is 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 um, going to be less true for a lot of people than it's being sold to us. I, I think that right now we exist in a super, like, financialized period. But for mass adoption, we have to financialize things a lot less and give people reasons to come in that doesn't have anything to do with money. Um, you know, like selling a song for one Ethereum isn't going to be common practice, I think, in the future. I think in order to really mass onboard, things have to become more accessible. Um, one of one things and like addition things. So I, I do think that um, that down the line, uh, we're going to move away from this financialization thing. And then people who build interesting things are going to be the winners the same way that it is or it has been so far in the world. Even even though, um, you know, like digital assets like skins and like coins and games and like stuff like that is really the driver. And that's why so many games make stuff for free. Like um, what what was the first game? Was, was League the first game that was free? And then... Uh, you bought everything in the game to unlock the full game. Once Blizzard did that, that was like the blueprint, right? Like it became, I, I'm a big Apex player. Apex, the game is free. Um, Smite, another game I love, which is kind of like League, free. Like all these games become free and then you buy everything inside the game. And I think that that's like a perfect proof case that digital assets and things that we use all the time um, have a lot of value if if presented the right way and presented with the proper experience. I just think right now everyone's so focused on money and not focused on experience. Um, yes, that's the answer. Do you think that there's, to your point on finding these different communities, right? I mean, you mentioned with skating, right? You have your kind of niche community and, you know, it's, it's not really just about the financialization of it, right? Um, I feel like what ends up happening with just markets in general, right, in, in, in business, is that what ends up, there's those that end up identifying those groups end up targeting those groups for financialization. And I, I want to know from your perspective, is that, I, I almost don't know what to do with it. Cause it's like, we want to, you know, I, I completely agree, but I, I almost feel like it's almost like the order in K like yin and yang to be to like, in some regard. Yes. You know, You're spot on. I think so. Like, um, I've been saying that there are like people who create culture, and then there are people who disseminate culture and carry culture like to the next level, right? A lot of times, the people who create culture aren't the people who capitalize on the culture, right? So, like um, skateboarding, for instance, um, there are probably a ton of brands focused uh, on skaters and skate culture that's made by people who don't skate. There's like this. Um, there's this infamous T-shirt from like a streetwear brand, uh, like 2012, 2013, that says like Pharrell can't skate, um, and Pharrell can't skate. But like, I love Pharrell. This has this is not like a jab at Pharrell, and I know he's in Web three now at Doodles, which is amazing. Um, but like that idea that that there are people who use um, different cultures to sort of push what they're doing forward is a thing. I remember like um, being into rap music and being into anime. Um, there was like this old like Rob Banks interview where he talks about only knowing Dragon Ball Z. And I was like, you're not even an anime nerd. You watch Dragon Ball Z like everybody else. Like he watches a lot of anime now. He's like one of the faces of anime rap, quote unquote. But like um, 
that idea is just interesting. I think that people who create culture are different than people who communicate culture. And the people who communicate the culture are the people who actually capitalize on the culture. Um, and, and so like, I think what's interesting about Web3 is that the people who create the culture can mint the culture in real time. And that becomes, um, that becomes a thing of value. Um, of course, I think we need people who can communicate that culture for us in order to really make whatever sort of capital we can through the culture that we create. But I do think that um, like on the idea of people who take culture and build things on top of it, um, people who create the culture now have more of an opportunity in Web3, which I think is super exciting. Um, I'm even excited to have some of the earliest anime like influenced rap music on the blockchain because I think that anime is in a lot more now. Um, but I think that's really the exciting thing about Web3. But you're spot on, I think, with that idea of culture taking and making. There's also even, and and I, I know Ezra has a question after this, but I just have to ask this part, is, is, <laughs> is there's another element too where it's like certain individuals have even are even within that community right but then end up being incredibly just uber successful but that almost that rocket ship that brings them to that level it 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 changes something right and it's very specific to certain scenarios because like everybody's different and and you know humans are funny and, and weird uh it's it's i i i don't know it's like there's there's so many different layers to it that i think you could like be analyzing every which direction of it all day. But I just think that it's always something interesting to, to understand really like from a cultural perspective, what's actually like churning and, and being able to identify the patterns of like, Oh, this individual seems like the person that is going to fill out this archetype. Right. Um, I don't know. What do you have any thoughts in and around that? It's I'll continue to go on the culture vibe. So in skateboarding, when Nike SB was becoming a thing, they really, really, really wanted Eric Costin. And Eric Costin at the time skated for Lakai, um, which was like part of like a group of brands that everybody was just like Chocolate, Girl, Lakai. There were a couple more brands that like all existed together sort of as a family. And it was called Krail Tap. And, um, and so Costin was skating for Lakai. Nike offered him seven figures. Costin said no, and they picked up Paul Rodriguez instead. And P-Rod ended up becoming the face of Nike SB um, instead of Costin, who was already a face of skateboarding. He was already in all the Tony Hawk games. He was already doing all this amazing stuff with Girl, all this amazing stuff with Kai. Like, he was already doing all this stuff. And um, and so I think that, like, that's sort of one of those moments where they realized that Eric Costin was the proper archetype, right, for, like, the the pro skateboarder, who like was now with this huge brand and it was really pushing skateboarding culture way, way, way forward. Um, but what ended up is Costa said, no, P-Rod said, yes, P-Rod became that face. And so a lot of people's perception of Paul Rodriguez is actually based on him getting onto Nike SB and then the propulsion through that. Um, and I think there's like, like there's in all subcultures, there's examples of that, right? Like um, an obvious one is like Supreme, right? Like everybody knows Supreme now. Um, what was Supreme always Supreme, right? Like like the perception of Supreme. Um, thinking about like a brand like Stussy, um, which is super, super OG. Like if, if you, even if we go down the streetwear timeline, James Jebbia, who started Supreme, worked at Stussy, right? So it's like super, super OG. But Stussy has become a far more mainstream brand. You think you think about Stussy, you think about like PacSun, you know? You think about Supreme, you don't think about PacSun because they're not in there. And so like, 
I think that there are all these different types of examples. And um, even in streetwear, I think a lot of surf brands really popped off and a lot of skate brands stayed underground, um, which, which is just like a really interesting thing, right? Like um, how do you, how do you decide what is going to be the thing? And then like, what is the catalyst? Who's the person or people or entities that carry that culture to the next level and turn it to the thing. And that's why, that's why I think Nike's such a good example because Nike's such a big brand and their jump into skateboarding was actually met with a bit of pushback at first. And then once they started getting like authentic skateboarders into it, we were like, oh, okay, cool. Nike's cool. And I've skated through tons of Nike SBs that um, are worth a lot of money right now. So yeah. Skate your shoes, bro. Use them. <laughs> I do. I do. I, I actually I have, I have one pair of SBs that are still brand new and they came out in like 2006. I, every other shoe I, I like wear and skate in. That's fire. Well, I've, I feel like I've been hogging the stage uh, for a minute, but um, I'll pass it off to Ezra because I know he's been having um, itching to have a question unless uh, Dave, you had anything else there. But, um, but yeah, pass it off. I would like to talk about how nerdy that was and how great it was. <laughs> the ins and outs of, yes. of who founded and, you know, it's, it was great. Um, when Nick and I went to NFT NYC, we saw you perform at a very exclusive small setting and it was token gated. You had a couple of extra tokens to give out because you wanted more people to experience the set and not just the holders. You wanted to expand who was able to come through. How do you feel about token gated concerts and experiences as a musician? Are, are you looking to expand onto traditional platforms to get your music heard by more people to bring people into the token holders? Like, what are your thoughts around that? If you Muted. That, uh, I think there we go. There we go. A little laggy. Oh, good to go. Oh yeah, I'm back. Yeah, sorry. It's it's uh <laughs> cool. I think so with that show, um with that performance with Wave World, shout out the Wave World, I was actually at first kind of upset. I was like, uh because the way that, that the show was set up was um we had like six or seven performers and each performer would perform for their token holders only. And so at first I thought it was gonna be all the token holders of all the people who performed would all be there, right? So there'd be like 100, 150 people or whatever. Um, but it was actually each individual artist, their token holders showed up. So um, before the event, I think like four people to RSVP. And, um, and there were some people who did their sets for like four or five people. And they said it was amazing. They said it was super personal, super connecting. But I feel like my music, trap music combined with heavy rock music better in like with more people and um, so earlier in the day i had minted 15 more nfts that i was going to give to people who wanted to come so um at that event there were public parts and private parts in the <laughs> in the public parts of it um i met a kid from germany who had gotten my free nft he sold it for 0.75 ethereum flew America, went to nft nyc and but he couldn't get my set anymore because he sold the NFT and that was mine. So I gave him one, I gave his friends one, uh, I gave a few people one, super pumped. And um, and having that experience was really cool. To get to the question, I think that um, token-gated experience are, are going to be the key to the future of tokens. Um, concerts are just one of the experiences. I think 
um, earlier I was talking about like tokens in games and how like that's an experience, right? Like if that was a token, if that validated was a token, then it's like cool. This account uses the skin. Boom. That's it. I think that like that's going to be the real use case. Um, I'm super pumped for like the future of ticketing using NFTs, and I think using um, prior token ownership as a sort of piece of that is going to be really interesting. So even if there's a way, for instance, let's say I perform at rolling that, um, if there's a way that every, anyone who owns one of my NFTs can get a ticket for free and then people don't can get a ticket, but it costs what their own cost, that's a use case for NFTs. And especially for a music artists, especially for a content creator, stand-up comedians, I think could really benefit from this sort of thing where maybe there's an Ownership of micro content allows them to get into their performances for free. Um, things like movies, right? Like if you have a, of a, of a movie that's about the theaters and you're able to go see that movie for free or you're able to get the Blu-ray mail to your house or whatever, like I think that those sorts of experiences are definitely going to be the way. The, um, the real thing is going to be like, what are the use cases that people care about, right? Like I don't know if we found that yet. Like when I was talking earlier about how platforms try to sell themselves to artists as opposed to selling themselves to audiences. Um, it, it makes you wonder if things that I'm thinking about are the things that people like what I do actually want. And um, and so that's a, a battle that I'm constantly having internally. But I absolutely think that token-gated um, real-life experiences are going to be the, like, 1,000% future. One of the 1,000% features, I guess. There'll probably be 6,000% so I love that. That it, yeah, it's just, it just feels so right. And you you were coming in a little bit choppy there. I don't know if you want to like disconnect from AirPods or something, but I'll, I'll fill in some time with a little bit of thought. the The idea of having a, a small group of people being being able to reward a small amount of people with your NFT, and then having a product outside of the NFT space like a ticket that people that don't hold your NFT they can buy to bring in that extra revenue. And you can still reward people that hold your NFT. I think that's a really great way to continue to generate revenue for the creator and bring in experience and reward and utility for the collectors. I think it's a nice balance. So yeah, you you touched on that exactly. I something that um, has been interesting that we've done on my end with Kudos, for instance. Kudos is is like an album by my friend Matt. We've been working together for like a decade. Um, if I start cutting out, just say it. My AirPods go in and out when connected to my phone. So all I have to do is say it. I take it out. I put it back in and we're good. Um, so like we worked on an album together uh, over the last few years and we released it as an NFT. The NFT is just an image. Uh, it kind of moves, but it comes with a physical package that you're able to claim through sort of like a token gated website. And the physical package has, it comes in this box. It's got augmented reality on the front. Um, and then inside the box is a comic book. Inside the box, there's popcorn. And then on the side of the box is a QR code. Um, and then we're going to like be adding augmented reality experiences to it. The NFTs have all this tech surrounding it and all these different things. And so it's like, this was like our first experiment in trying to figure out what people want that the NFT can deliver them. And so um, some people have claimed the NFT and claimed the physical thing. Some people have bought NFTs and haven't claimed the physical thing. Um, there's this idea of like um, rarity of physical items. If, if every version of that, if every stock count of that item has a token associated with it, right, and you have a claim process, then um, if someone doesn't claim it, eventually there's only one left 
that hasn't been claimed and, and that NFT theoretically could be much more valuable than the ones that have been claimed, things like that. And so um, I, I absolutely agree. Experience, it's, it's really like people keep saying utility and they got to start saying experience. Once you start saying experience instead of utility, it's a whole different conversation. What if the utility is experience? That's the goal, right? I think the word should just be swapped out. I just think like, mm. um, stop. If we if we stop saying like, if we say, oh, this NFT comes with utility, we should just say instead, this NFT has this experience that comes with it, right? The experience you get with the NFT is this. And I think with that, right? Like artists get really upset about the word utility because it, it makes them feel like they have to do more work. But the experience of art can just be art. The utility of art sounds weird saying that it's just art, right? Saying like, yeah, yeah well, like the utility. And, and I think something that's interesting about like uh, tokens is that we can build experience over time. So like we don't have to force that to happen. Like um, Nick asked me about my um, the NFTs that I made for the performance. Um, yeah. Everyone who got those NFTs bought my NFTs last year, bought my NFTs mm -hmm. like a long time ago and i just airdropped all of them this one token and that token is what got you into the show and so like i just built that i just built that utility later and i think that's what's really special and, and that's like when we think about like the future of it all right like if i for instance if i take the same token and um and you decide that you want to build an experience on top of my token you can do that and i think that that's really cool is like i don't have to be the only one to make utility we see this a lot with um with like the popular PFP projects where mm -hmm. um, people will go to those projects and they call it a collab, but it's just utility, right? It's it's just an experience saying, if you own a board Ape, then you can get on the pre-sale list for this other project. If you own a Doodle, then you can get this for free. If you own this, then that. And so I think if this, then that is like um, how we should think about utility slash experience slash whatever word. I absolutely agree. And I think that... Um, for mass adoption to happen, I think that the experience part will definitely play a really key factor. Um, wow. So we should really play a, a game where we could see who gets rugged more, but um, we really shouldn't because then the space won't happen. But um, Nick and Ezra did such a good job asking such insightful and thoughtful questions. Um, it was so deep. Um, it ranged from um, building community to um, cultural trends to your NFTs to just tokenomics in general and so um, I love it I love it um, just want to ask you a couple more things before we give out the po-op um, I know that you have you were on Snoop Dogg's mix and I feel like that was like a really big milestone for your career and you also um, released some other projects that you haven't talked about and I just want to give you the chance to talk about those uh, on sound xyz i believe yeah um so snoop dogg has dropped on sound twice um both times he dropped the mix um the mix vibe was kind of influenced by selection who dropped the mix first and they did all their splits publicly i think they split like between like 18 wallets or something like that so snoop did his mix and i remember the first mix um hearing cray sean on the first song. I love Krayshawn. I think she's amazing. I think she's a genius. I want Krayshawn to live the best life possible if she ever hears this. Um, and <laughs> she was on the first song. And, um, but there were no splits, you know? And I was just thinking to myself, man, so 
prior to that, what happened was Krayshawn, she sings this song called Gucci Gucci that everyone knows, um, but they, they don't know. Um, it went viral on TikTok because kids don't know it. Um, but like the hook is Gucci Gucci, Louis Louis, Fendi, Fendi, Prada. Like, and in, in if rappers still use that phrase, they use those four brands in that order all the time. Um, and she started that. She didn't write the song. People want to argue about that, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Like culture makers and culture carriers, right? Um, and so she was, she went viral for that. But what happened is um, all those TikTok numbers that she was getting was just paying back her record deal that she got out of. Like her, her label dropped her because she got pregnant and they wanted to make her a pop artist. She didn't want to be a pop artist, whatever, all this stuff. And so it's like interesting to see your Snoop Dogg mix happen and miss this big opportunity for someone like Sean to be able to make money from being featured on a mix in Web3 and make that money immediately, make that money like transparently and publicly. Um, and, and there were a few records like that on the mix. I criticized it on Twitter after that mix came out. So then when it came time for the second mix, the guys at Sound, who are amazing, um, pretty much pitched that to Snoop. They're like, look, like, you should have Web3 artists in. You should pay them. You should da-da-da. And so what happened was Snoop um, ended up putting four artists in the mix, myself, Amon Europe, Maruf, and Hino. And, um, and we all ended up getting paid from it, um, which is really sick. Um, and so, like, that was a – it's really funny because, like, I don't think about it as much as everyone else does. Like everyone's like, yo, you were on the Snoop Dogg mix. I'm like, oh, it's it cool. Like it was just one of my songs on the, on the mix, you know, like whatever. Um, but everyone's like, this is really important. And so I'm trying to like uh, make sure that I continue to emphasize the importance of someone like Snoop Dogg, who's an absolute legend and has had such a story career um, to, to look in our direction and see what we're up to um, and, and participate in what we're up to. Um, you know, I have, I have tons of, Tons of things I loud Snoop Dogg for and tons of things I criticize him for that he's done in Web3. But um, I do think that this is one of the like super positive moments. Um, I recently, um, after that drop, um, I recently dropped an NFT that was completely free on sound that I talked about earlier that someone had gotten the golden egg for is like a month ago tomorrow. And, oh, is this the one um, where they can claim a verse from you? No, so that I'll tell you that one. I'll tell you that one. Okay, okay. So like, last year, my second music NFT drop I did, I had one token in there that was like a free verse claim token. Whoever owned that token can get a verse from me at any time. Um, back then, I was still minting NFTs on OpenSea. So, like, the unlockable content on OpenSea is a link to a form that you fill out. And then when you fill out the form, um, you, you send the song over, you send the beat. Uh, you tell me what you want the verse to be about, and then I send it back to you, done. And and so this idea um, of NFTs that represent services—if you think about a verse as a service—I think that that's going to be another big big future of the space. So like, um, and it allows people who are just beginning to really get uh, get ahead, right? Like like, okay, how about if I say I'm going to? Well, this is well, let's just use me for example. If I say I'm going to be one of the biggest rappers in the world. And you can get a verse from me that you can decide to get from me at any time, no matter how big I am, no matter when it is in my career, you can get this verse from me. Um, the idea that you can get a verse now for what I'm worth now, or a little bit more than what I'm worth now to, to show your support and belief in me and then claim that later at a, at a possibly higher value. You know, if a verse for me costs a hundred thousand dollars in the future, the person paid about $1,000 for it on the primary market at the time. 
Um, we recently got an offer for like twice what he paid. Um, he did not accept it, but he, he told me about it. And so I think that um, that's the super interesting vibe is like um, people who might be, let's say, for instance, um, if I want to go to school to be a massage therapist and I say, guys, I'm going to school to be a massage therapist. Um, I need some help paying for it. Um, if you guys buy this token now that will get me through massage school, I'll give you a free massage in the future or I'll give you a free massage for a year. I'll give you 10, you know, whatever you can do this thing where you um, not only are supporting an artist at the very beginning, but you have an opportunity to resell that service to someone else down the line for more in case you don't want to claim the service. Like you might not live in the same city or you can have that service rendered at a much higher level in the future because you believe in them at the beginning. And so um, I, I think that this is way more interesting than um, like fractional ownership of like um of like royalties and streams and stuff like that because um I don't make a lot of money on streams and so if I fractionalize my streams you would be very upset with me and I don't want you to be upset with me. Wow, yeah, I learned a lot in that um answer to that question. Um and I I want to go back to what I said about Snoop Dogg and what you said. I think it's really awesome that you're really objective about it that you don't get starry-eyed just because you're working with him. You see all opportunities um, equally and whatever you're more excited about is a reflection of you as an artist and who you are. And so, um, I commend that. And I really like how, um, in every situation you can see things that you like and things that you can criticize about it because there are things that can always be improved. And that's what you did with, um, the second drop. So, um, for people to, um, actually make money off of it. So, Yeah. Um, so we are approaching the end of this space. There's just so much I want to talk to you about. We could probably talk for hours, um, but I don't want to keep everyone in the audience here. Um, so, um, any projects, anything upcoming that you want to tell the audience? Yeah. Um, I, so I was talking a lot about this project called Kudos. Um, it's K-O-O-D-O-S. Um, yeah, I thought it was K-U-D-O, <laughs> but yeah, it's pinned no, on it's, top. It's, yeah. Yes. Uh, check that out. I think it's um, the team that we're working with on the developer side. Um, they're called Quantum. Is easily the single best development crew in the space i would put them up against anyone in the space as a as a team of developers um you know i i often will like call out other i'll be like better than richard better than west coast like 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 i'm standing on a stage yelling about everybody and um and so you know one of the things that they've been doing lately and pretty much anything that you see them do i want to try to assimilate into our our brand and what we're building um one of the early things that they did with the project called Doji Crew um, was um, every NFT that they had, it was a PFP project. Every NFT that they had earned a salary. And the salary was essentially this ERC-20 token called Zingot. And uh, every NFT that earned that salary, it would actually attach itself to the NFT. And then you could withdraw that ERC-20 token. And then the lead artist of the project keeps making art that you can buy with that token. And on top of like each of them earning a salary that gets attached to the NFT, all of those NFTs can hold other NFTs. And then you can send the NFT that yours is holding 
to other dojis in the in the collection. And so that's something that we have like implemented into the Kudos NFTs. Um, we're working on like a series of projects in the future. And what we'll be doing is instead of airdropping NFTs directly to people's wallets, we'll be airdropping the NFTs into your Kudos NFT. Um, for instance, we have like a, a PFP vibe on the way and everyone who has a Kudos NFT will get one of those. One of the interesting things that they did on their end was like they put a mutant ape in one of the NFTs. So like when that NFT minted, the person who minted that number got a mutant ape, which was super interesting. Um, and so Kudos is like music focused, culture focused, but um, taking advantage of some of the most interesting tech in the space. They just built like a completely um, like smart contract based e-commerce experience, which I hope to take advantage of in the future. So like um, no Shopify, no Stripe, no any of that, no Squarespace, nothing. It's just their website that links to a smart contract and you pay for everything in USDC. And when you buy the NFT, you get a soul bound NFT, which is like a whole other conversation that represents your purchase kind of as a receipt. And then um, the soul bound NFT updates with, uh, with shipping progress and things like that. Um, so like this crew of the, that we're um, able to, you know, what we're really came out here, but I see, Dave, you got a little echo. You might have to uh, unmute or, yep, we got you. It's a new remix. That's all. <laughs> yeah, we're dropping. He's dropping that as an NFT right there. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Um. I don't know if you can hear me, but the salary attached to the NFT. Oh, is really interesting. Is it a, like a fixed? salary oh we used, did say usdc right yeah. so will it fluctuate according to the market so with this specific one the token that they use is, is a token strictly for that economy called zingot and what the dojis are is they're like in the military so there are all these different ranks and each rank has its own salary and then um and then when you um you can go onto the site and there's a store for um, for like paying for things in Zingot. And so that's how it works. But anyone, you know, I think something that's special about the blockchain is anyone can do anything with that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a really interesting um, sort of set of things that they're making because, you know, like um, Doodles is announcing their updates. Um, Deadfellas announced their like sort of V2 vibe. And the dev team that I'm working with has been making those exact products for a year or more and so um i'm just super excited to have like such forward-thinking people on my side and uh and then me being like the nerd that i am um sort of making things as well that hopefully um continue to push the space especially on the music side i think um music nft innovation is so far like few and far between that um i find a way to like help everybody by creating interesting things yeah, it really is interesting. A lot of these ideas that you mentioned today, I haven't heard before. And I've always been, not always, but regularly, I've been hearing a lot of the same type of quote unquote utility, um, especially like through artists or um, even musicians. It's very simple. And I think that um, this new process and this new project through Kudos that you're doing is super, super cool. And I'm really excited to see how it goes. Um just want to ask you a couple of fun questions now. Um, yes. 
Um, what is your favorite non-anime show or movie? Or is it not, does not exist? It exists. It exists. I um, am a huge fan of the butterfly effect. That movie is like one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, mm-hmm. A, like Ashton Kutcher stepping out of the comedy vibe. Because like, I don't think he's as funny as everyone gives him credit for. But I think he was amazing in that movie. But then um, I, I watched the movie a bunch of times in theaters. But then when the Blu-ray came out and they had the director's cut with the alternate ending, I was like, yo, this is crazy. But then like um, the way that they were like tying Easter eggs into it uh, and stuff like that, I was a huge, huge fan of that. Um, other favorite movies of mine. Um, oh, gosh, I can't think of the names of them now. I'm doing terribly. Um, maybe No, I totally feel that. It's like I love reading and people are like, what's your favorite book? And suddenly, like, I can't think of, like, any books. And, like, people think I'm, like, lying or something. So, no, I feel you. Yeah, um, it's, it's the worst. Are you subbed or dubbed? Uh, strictly subbed. Um, I, I have a binge watching problem. So I only watch new anime because if I watch an anime that has all the episodes out, my life pauses until I finish that. So like, um, a couple years ago, um, I watched, I talked about Gundam earlier. So Gundam has been out since 1988, um, and still comes out with content. They just came out with a movie last summer. And, um, and so I, I randomly decided I'm going to watch all the Gundam stuff of the main timeline. And it was like, uh, three shows that were 50 episodes, another show that was 12 episodes, another show that was three episodes, like four movies, like all this stuff. And so like, for like a week and a half, I just disappeared. And, um, and so I try to avoid watching things. So like, I don't watch Netflix because of that. And um, I'm literally the same way because I will literally not get out of bed and I will not eat and I'll maybe like, okay, sorry, this sounds like so gross. Like I'll occasionally just use the restroom and then like I'll just keep watching and keep watching because like I want to know what happens after the ending of each episode. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, wow, I need to like shower. I need to like change. Like um, I'm sure everyone can relate to that. Like if they're like binging Netflix too, it's not just like related to like anime, but no, I feel you, especially for those animes that have like 10 million seasons. And then like, you don't want to f- uh, skip the filler episodes, you know, cause you know, there's like the list where you can like just go through, Yep. but then the filler like really just makes it better. So, um, yes, I'm also subbed because I feel like dubbed is kind of dumb, but, um, yes. there's always a, it's, a point stuff of entry. Doesn't, stuff doesn't make sense, right? Like there's the argument that, because we don't speak Japanese, um, that's why we think it's better. And that subbed anime is actually just as bad as dubbed anime if you speak Japanese. But I honestly don't believe it. I think that um, there's like, um, so like something that's really interesting when you when you talk to Japanese people about English, um, especially in America, they say that English is so rhythmic and like has a lot of like um, like fluctuations in tone and stuff like that. Um, but when you watch anime, um, the, the Japanese that they speak in anime is much more animated, no pun, than like traditional Japanese speak. Normally when you're just talking to someone, it's pretty monotone, you're just saying what you're saying and it is what it is. Um, but I think that um, that quality, that like over animated vocal quality is really what makes anime so great in Japanese. And then- I agree. Um, 
and then just like diving into some of those like um like tropes that don't quite make sense in English. Um, yeah, yep. is always great. So uh, and we've I'm seen glad to hear yeah. About my team. Oh, of course. Um, and we've seen a little bit of you know Americans being open to um, subbed through. Um, you know, Parasite or also Squid Game because you're like, oh, wow, it's really trending and like, I'll watch it then. I'll have to. But when you watch it in Parasite's tub, there are such just a good like, movie. there are like idiosyncrasies that you can't pick up on um, with the the subtitles, with the dubs. Yes, through the subtitles, you can more so. So yeah, no, I, I can honestly talk about this forever. Parasite is one of my favorite movies as well. Um, I'm sure you'll like it because there's just so much to analyze and just like economic I, layers. I've, I've watched it like four times. I love that movie. I and every actually, time, yeah, I learned something I new. I sampled it in a song. Um, I have a song called, it might be called I Have Ideas. And at the oh end my of it, God. I like sample it. Um, you know what would be a and, good sample for from the movie? And I haven't heard that song, but maybe it's like the same thing that you used like same same part of the movie so i'm just gonna try to guess and see if that's the part that you used um you know when they knock on the door and they're like there's a good illinois illinois chicago and they're like practicing what to say um in english is yeah. that the part that was remixed that's not but that's amazing i should do that oh god you should definitely I, remix that part because it's so cool yeah that's amazing i um i took so i'm not gonna spoil the movie but you know at the very end of the movie um so what happens is he, he, he uh, I can't think of his name. The son starts a speech off and it says, um, dad, I have an idea. And then he like talks about that idea. I sort of use that like vocal clip as, as part of a song. That's super sick. Wow. Thank you for sharing. And also, okay, I'm talking too much now. I'm running out of time. And so Nick's going to come and do the po-op, the very cool po-op that you designed for us. Thank you so much for talking. Like you have so many great insights and nerdiness is overall very appreciated here at 137. When you were talking about your Discord channels, it's probably exactly the same um, things that we cover, like sneaker culture, gaming, NFTs, music. And so it's just really, really fun and interesting to see that that's what you like. Yes, big nerd vibes. I appreciate you. I know off camera we talked about Peppa Pig. Uh, and I just want everybody to know uh, all about how fire Peppa Pig is um, for us. Thank you. Thank you. Peppa is very, very fire. Um, she's my spirit animal. Um, she's banned in China because she is a non-communist um, symbol and icon. She is over six feet. Um, a lot of parents don't allow their children to watch because she says somewhat offensive things. But I think it's just part of her polarizing charm. And I could honestly go on and on, but I have a lot of Peppa the Pig stuff um, in my house um, because I'm born in the year of the pig in the Chinese zodiac. And so that's like something that um, I really like. And like my parents like just like refer to me as like a pig, but it's like not a negative connotation because they're one of the smartest animals. Um, fun fact, they don't sweat. So that's why they roll in the mud to cool off. I don't know why I'm saying this right now, but I just feel that it's a really important thing that everyone knows. So yeah, um, 
my favorite scene from Peppa the Pig is when she calls her friend Susie and she's like, Susie, I come to whistle. And then Susie is like, what's whistling? And then he, and then Peppa's like, well, you put your mouth together and blow. And then Susie whistles like immediately. And then Peppa can't do it. And she's like, and then Peppa is so jealous that she hangs up. Like she hangs up mid conversation. The I'm going to find it. I'm going to post it. It's the funniest that is oh, you know it. You know it. Okay, cool. Thing I've ever seen on television, like because it's like, oh, because you know how they have that accent to call Susie, and it's like she goes to like, Susie, I can't whistle, and then like, oh god, and so like because Peppa doesn't respond to Susie, right? It's like Susie whistles and Peppa just hangs up, and you're like, oh my god, and it's like because what happens? Susie answers the phone. She's like. I was like, oh, Susie, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm making cookies. And Peppa's like, anyway, I can't whistle. Oh, it's, it's the best scene <laughs> on so many levels. Oh, yes, it's so good. No, no, seriously. And it's like, damn, I feel that, you know, because like not all cartoons are like pleasant and happy and wonderful and like, it just shows a lot. A lot of kids are like, oh, but then like, it's going to teach my kids like to talk back and like be rude to others. And I'm just like, you know, you're going to encounter that like in your life all the time. So it's fine. Um, But yeah, no, like it's, I can't believe you like know the exact scene and you like literally just said it back to me in a British accent. That's like super awesome. It's the best. It's the single funniest. That's when I realized we were in a new era of kids television. I was like, oh, this is what y'all are watching? And then I like circled the block and was like, let me see what this Peppa Pig show is about. That was like the first Peppa Pig scene I ever saw. Oh my God, so good. (laughs) All right, all right, pull-up time. Man, Dave, I think you're a man after Erica's heart after that one. I mean, just mentioning anything Peppa Pig, I swear. (laughs) That's too funny. Amazing. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been really, really good. I hope the audience has as well. And if you did, follow Black Dave. Follow his profile right there, top right. Follow him, hear what he has to say. I learned a lot about NFTs and the thought process he uses. Um, So follow him. And lastly, follow NFT 137. We're updating a lot of uh, the content that we're doing. We're posting a lot new content. So if you want to learn more about nfts follow nft 137 type that into your your browser there and it's also in the title by the way it's in the title it's also in the title so you just click that that boom right there yes less friction so thank you everyone for joining i appreciate you so much enjoy the po app and we will see you next thursday for another episode of web i'll say this as well if you really did enjoy it tweet us tag us we want to we wanna see what's up and DM us if you're feeling shy today. But yes, all those things. Make sure to check us out. Web 37, 1.37 p.m., NFT 1.37. Much love to everybody here. Dave, you're fucking amazing. Um, and we appreciate you immensely. Thank you guys for having me. This is, uh, this is so much fun. I like, after New York, I was like, I want to do so much like less Twitter spaces. But this is uh, this is definitely one that I'm super excited I got to do. So thank you guys, um, and thank you, Erica. You're like top, top, top tier. I'm 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 like I'm just gonna DM you random stuff all the time now. Okay, I'll be waiting, but in a normal way, not weird way. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, see, that's the energy that we love. That's the energy yes, that we love. Yes, yes, Erica. Yes.
I love, I love you. It. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. See you next time. Peace. Hi. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out every single live Twitter space on our Twitter at 1.37 p.m.